Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. My name is Andrew Harris, and I'm staring at the most stare, it's not polite. successful attorney I know. Thank you. Question mark? I'd say it's pretty good. Hey, man. I'm, Andrew I'm Decker. Good. Hello. How are Hello. you? I'm well. Thank you, Mr. Harris. It's been it's been a big year. You you have yes you you have already succeeded beyond I think what anybody thought you would ever succeed uh, this year. Yeah, I convinced, so, so congrats. I, I convinced someone to marry me. That's right. Um, got married a, well at this point a couple of weeks ago when this actually yeah. drops. Uh, and so I'm a newlywed, and people have been asking me why are you at work? Why are you at court? And I'm like, I have to pay for this thing. You have to pay for it. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know. You know. It's it is it is what it is, man. We all have lives, and you guys are going to enjoy that uh, that honeymoon vacation a little bit later on in the year. But yeah, um, but great. Well, you know what? Uh, I am happy that we are kind of well into the year. Um, we have uh, just a great guest for us. Yes, yeah, we have Stephanie Stevens. She is uh, my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, Stephanie. If I get your title wrong, you're the director of the criminal law clinic at st mary's university school of law that is correct all right well done well done yeah and so today we're going to be talking about uh just her perspective on criminal law and and law clinics uh, law and, clinics and etc so yeah. stephanie thank you for coming on the show welcome how thank are you? you i'm i'm great and it's my pleasure to be here thank you both and congratulations thank you Andrew, on your marriage yeah, thank you. So I guess just to start us off, you know, how um, tell us about just a little bit about yourself, introduce yourself to our listeners and how you came to be in the law and kind of where, you know, how you got to where you're at now. Sure. So I was licensed in 1991. I went to St. Mary's Law School. I'm board certified in criminal law. It's all I've ever practiced. Wow. It's all I've ever wanted to do. I actually came to law school because I wanted to be a criminal defense lawyer um, I guess I wanted to be Atticus Finch, like many people out there. I'm married, and I have two grown children. My husband is also a criminal defense lawyer, a uh, fairly well-known one. Many people in Texas know Mark Stevens. Indeed. I'm just now putting... Yeah, you don't necessarily together. go, Stevens is a common enough name that I don't think we automatically went, hey, she might be uh, married to Mark. <laughs> right. Exactly. So what what going into criminal defense doesn't necessarily bring you back to the school you went to right. to lead a clinic. How did that happen? No, that's a good question. So let me let me just start a little bit with some history on how we developed a clinic here at St. Mary's for criminal defense. Um, it it kind of started around 1995, and around that time we started to see you know big civil firms were slowing down; they weren't taking people on. And a lot of young people were getting out of law school, practicing law by taking court appointments. So they were repre representing indigent people accused of uh, crimes. And many of them didn't know what they were doing. They had no training in that area. Not their fault. It was just that law school at that time didn't really provide many clinical settings. And certainly those of us here in St. Mary's, we that graduated did not get any kind of training for criminal defense. I was lucky and I was able to partner up and have mentors and learn that way. But young people coming out of law school just didn't have that training. So 
what we saw was, you know, people would get burned out quickly. They didn't like practicing criminal defense law. They felt, you know, they felt sort of isolated, solo practice, didn't have a big group to, to um, share in things with. And we also saw, of course, that it was affecting the quality of indigent defense. So St. Mary's got together with a few people and wanted to develop this clinic. And I, I sort of worked with it initially as just kind of a mentor on the side. And I found that I just loved working with the students. It really was wonderful. It was a great way for me to continue doing what I love, which is criminal defense work, representing people accused of crimes. But it also allowed me to train new lawyers to continue in this tradition, to try and inspire that same kind of passion for the work. And it was really great that I got to I got to do both. I get to still be in the courtroom, but I get to be around young, excited people who want to learn more about the law. And I, I can't imagine having a better job, really. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it sounds pretty, it sounds pretty awesome. Honestly. I mean, I'm just remembering back to my days as a law student in the criminal clinic that I was in. Um, it was actually a prosecution clinic, which I think is weird, but, mm -hmm. uh, but just the, I don't know, the kind of camaraderie within the law clinic and working out cases or, or trying to work out cases, et cetera. I mean, it, it's a, that would be an interesting, uh, uh, career, uh, to have for sure. Yeah. Yeah, very, very interesting. So I had a friend who went to law school, I think on the East Coast, and his criminal law clinic, one semester was prosecution, one semester was defense, which I thought was genius, right? Making oh, a really? year-long course. And, but that, that's beyond the scope of this of this episode. <clears throat> so you you started off as a, as a mentor for the clinic, uh, but now you're the director. When did that change, and, and what does that mean for you now? Uh, gosh, it changed sometime in the late 90s, I suppose. I switched over to be a, a clinical professor of law and, and got tenure. And um, and then I think it meant I outlasted everyone else who worked with me in the criminal clinic to become <laughs> the director, perhaps. Uh, um, Promotion by attrition? Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Um, probably more wish it were more merit, but maybe not. No, um, it's a valid, valid reason to get it, to have a job. That's for sure. We've heard that many times on this podcast as well. <laughs> Other, you know, executive directors, like very capable individuals. And I'm, I'm sure you're, you're, you're just being self-deprecating, but, uh, but yeah, still, you know, your, your passion has got you where you're at, right? Well, and, and you've been doing it long enough that obviously you do love it and you find you get something out of it. And hopefully the students do too. So sure. let, let's just assume I'm a student at St. Mary's. How would I even apply to be a part of the clinic? No, that's also a good question. And, you know, of course, I'm going to clinics around the country are all different. There's lots of similarities, but of course, there's lots of differences. I mean, as you pointed out, having a clinic that was half prosecution, half defense. So, you know, there's a lot of variations. But here at St. Mary's, we have an online application and students fill out a form. And what we kind of look for within this form um, Certainly are they a student in good standing currently because clinic takes up a lot of time. You have real live clients and we don't necessarily want someone to step into a position where they have more work, more stress if they're struggling in their other classes. So we want somebody to be doing well. We want to know what type of law that is they want to practice and why. We want to make sure that they understand this is a pro bono, uh, a pro bono clinic where we are going to be working with people who come from a different walks of life and who are unable to afford counsel. 
sometimes students in law school haven't really had the opportunity to work with that population yet. So we want to make sure everybody knows all of that, that they understand it, and that they really want to be uh, participating in this type of situation. We also want to look at the idea of three L's over two L's and one L's. For, uh, one L's generally can't get a bar card to go to court. You don't have enough hours of law school credit. But we give those three L's more preference because, I don't know if you know, but the ABA requires that all students graduating from law schools have six hours of experiential credit. And, and that can be a variety of things, but clinic here at St. Mary's is a six hour course. If it's neatly into that requirement, students can check that box and be done. So we wanna make sure that there's no student who's about to graduate and still lacking experiential hours. Three L's, especially second semester, three L's are gonna get that top preference. Yeah, definitely. We also in right. Prim Clinic really like the idea of students who are a little further along in their career because they've had more, they've more likely had criminal procedure classes and evidence, which of course, as you as practicing lawyers know, you really need to have that to be able to do a good job in the courtroom. And wait, wait there are rules to evidence. <laughs> We're few. learning this daily uh, as we as we you know uh, schedule our our episodes for this show. Sorry, continue. We, we, yes, you, you will find that, that we are that we that we um uh interrupt with inappropriate banter, and we we apologize. So continue. Yep. Not not a worry at all. Please do. Um, and well, you know, certainly we try to teach some of those things in the clinic itself, but we are limited to one semester. And I know six hours probably sounds like a lot to students, but it really isn't a lot when you think of all the things you want to um, impart to students in terms of practicing law. No, I, I mean, even just the real life practice of law, um, you know, that a clinic tries to emulate I mean, there's so much to learn on top of, you know, having to learn the rules of evidence. I mean, that, no, that, that makes absolute sense to me. Yeah. So what do you hope, uh, especially a third year students fall or spring, what are you hoping that student learns while they're in the clinic? Like if you had to list like the top two or three things that you hope they learn, what are they? So let me tell you my top three, but I'm going to say, of course, the obvious things, you know, additionally, I, I certainly want to make sure that they know how to read the law and apply it, how to be persuasive in arguments, office management, little things like that, that you get out there and, you know, you open up your own office and you're thinking, how do I keep files? How do I pay taxes? How do I, how do I do all those little things? Of course, I want to make sure students get a taste of that, but I would say my top three things and the first one may sound a little corny, but it really is true, is honesty. Honesty in dealing with others and integrity. And you know, lawyers are the butt of jokes. The punchline being something about how we are ethically challenged. Um, so we don't need more people out there adding to a bad reputation. We need people out there trying to change that reputation. There's a lot of temptation for criminal defense lawyers, clients who are charged with things involving drugs, sex, money, clients who walk close to the line, or maybe who've even crossed over the line and you're working with them. There's a lot of temptation. And so students, I want to make sure that they steer clear of that. They avoid those pitfalls. We see the headlines every now and then where lawyers do not avoid it and they find themselves in a bad place. Indeed. Um, I'd also say 
we're such a competitive business. We want to win. You know, we want to get in the courtroom. We want to win that case. And you got to be careful of the win at any cost mentality and just remind yourself about having that moral compass in life. So I'd say that's one of my big things. That um, Honestly, that is, I think, an incredible, if they learn that alone, that idea of the moral compass, the uh, um, honesty, integrity, the, um, as one of my mentors said, you don't become friends and start socializing with your clients. Yes. And it doesn't matter who the client is. He's like, they're no, they're not my friend. That's why, you know, we don't want I don't want to be their friend. That's going to get me in trouble. Um, I think those are huge lessons to learn and to learn early. So uh, your first one, I'm going to give you a big A plus on. All right. Thank you. No, I, I, I concur. Um, with all that, um, you know, I, I've known attorneys who've had to get rides from their clients to go to court and, you know, it's not a good look. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I know, I mean, just being an all around professional, I, I think that's great because, you know, they do substantive work, right? So you assign them a case, which we'll talk about here in a second, but also getting that like, Hey, this is how you are. Tr- uh, this is how you act like become transform into a true professional um in in this in this business so let's talk about like some of the substantive cases you're you're taking cases from bear county is that right that's correct okay and um are you the only supervising attorney do they have do they have multiple i'm the only supervising attorney right now in the criminal clinic uh a year ago i had a partner. I had a co-teacher, Ann Burnham, and she has recently shifted over to work um, at the Harris County Appellate Public Defender's Office. Oh, cool. So currently it's me, but that may change again, I hope. Right. Um, yeah, we always have a lot of students who want to take criminal clinic. And when there's only one person teaching in it, you know, you have to limit the number of students you can take. So it's not not fair to the students. Do you, is it, do you have a clinic right now this semester? I do. I how do. Many, how many students do you have? 10. Okay. So not, this is my first semester I've dropped down last semester. I had 15. Oh, I'll be honest is a lot. uh, When you're the teaching part of it, of course, is not that much. It's the supervising the caseload and helping train the students and helping prepare them for trial. That's, that's what can really be taxing. And you have to worry. You're not giving students enough individual attention when you have that many. So, so this trial schedule that you have, I mean, are, how are, at what point in a case's lifespan are they getting assigned to a student? I mean, is it from, you know, arrest and arraignment, uh, arraignment to, uh, or, or is it closer, like, do they get assigned closer to like a jury trial setting? We, so most of our cases, the majority, I would say we get them right at the very beginning after okay. arrest, shortly after that. Students coming into the clinic, though, will inherit cases that are midstream. So they will get some that it's a short time before they need to buckle up, prepare, and get ready for a jury trial. Others, you know, will be taking in new cases. And so they may have one case that's at the very beginning where they're learning investigation, pretrial motions, initial client interviews. They may have the second case that is ready for pretrial hearings, motion to suppress, or ready for a jury trial. Sometimes they have a case that's towards the end, which may be in a good situation, an expunction. Maybe if it's not a great situation, it's an appellate procedure that we're working on. 
Oh, wow. Uh, so we try to assign them because it's only one semester. We try to give them more than one case at the different stages because if, if you started them all at the very beginning, shortly, shortly after arrest, not many would come to fruition during the semester and they wouldn't get to see that. They wouldn't have that experience. Yeah. First thing from arrest on a DWI to the end of a semester. So you say January through early May, lots of them haven't even been filed yet. Right. Yeah. Or at least not substantively. Exactly. Um, Go ahead. We also try to um, expand the student's experience by we have these weekly case rounds where we all gather, we talk about our cases, we brainstorm on them. So, you know, a student who has a DWI and a theft case maybe gets to also see about a possession of a controlled substance or currently um, we have an arson case. And, and so you may, by osmosis, learn a little bit more about the various cases and what goes into them while keeping your, as a student, your caseload manageable. Yeah. So, so you're, you're doing that. It's kind of, so it's kind of collaborative in that way, right? So you're, you, you're, you're, the students are using all the other students as like a sounding board on maybe trial strategy, investigation strategy, stuff like that. Right. Exactly. So are you also then having them like practice their jury selections or practice how to, um, you know, lay a, a, a foundation, a predicate um, for entering evidence and all that kind of stuff as well? Mm-hmm. Probably okay. in the beginning, the student's least part, favorite part of clinic is simulations. It's just, you know, standing up in front of your peers and giving an opening is yeah. not that much fun. But you've got to if you can do it in front of your peers, you can do it in front of a room full of strangers. So, Certainly. Yes, they, they do openings. They do closings. They do cross jury selection. We do a number of simulations on those uh, to help them prepare for the real cases. And again, like you said, they're they're seeing how you might pick a jury in a different type of case, one that they don't have currently, but they're gaining that knowledge just by watching and observing their, their peers. Yeah. So I'm assuming, and we all know what happens when you assume. So please correct me if I'm wrong, that probably your clinic does deals with misdemeanors, maybe state jail felonies, but nothing higher than that. Primarily we try our best to stick to those. Um, you know, there's honestly not a lot of difference maybe between trying a, a murder case and a DWI. And in fact, sometimes a DWI becomes so, so much more complicated and scientific. Mm-hmm. But the tough. stress, the pressure of the, the punishment range is a little more than students should have to handle. So we try to limit them to, as you said, lower level offenses with a lower level of punishment possibility. But we do also do appellate work. And we do direct appeals, we do writs, and some of those are on first-degree felonies. We have in the past done a writ on a capital murder. So, you know, they get they get some exposure to these more intense felonies through the appellate side of it. Right. And I, and I think that's true. That That's often how we learn, right? We I'm amazed how, how often someone starts by learning, by doing appeals, and they kind of see what someone did wrong or what they could have done better or what goes through trial by reading those transcripts, reading those records and writing, answering or writing writs, et cetera. So certainly that completely makes sense. Um, I I still learn from those. I think, you know, sometimes I'm reading a record and I steal things from a a lawyer's jury selection. I'll say, that was pretty clever. I think I'm going to incorporate that in mine next time. So you pick up good things and, 
And you also have those, oops, don't do that ever again. Don't ever do that <laughs> moments when you're reading records. Yeah, that didn't go well. So what is, and this, this is the question I really wanted to ask. How do you see the difference between an intern, uh, a, 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 a clinical class like yours and an externship? Mm-hmm. And again, I'm going to, I'm going to stress it. I'm going to come at it from the St. Mary's perspective because, of course, you know, my terminology may not be what some other law schools do or the way they handle it. But so for us here, externship involves a class and an outside placement, a placement outside of law school in the legal community. Clinics are a class on campus in-house law school program. So that's the primary difference. Externships for us here are generally a three-hour program, clinics a six-hour program. So you can imagine some students just, if you're on Law Journal and you're working part-time, you probably can't do a six-hour clinical program, but you need those experiential hours. An externship might be just the right answer for you to get that experience, the real life experience, but in a more manageable way with your with your other curricular activities. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, potentially maybe the the maybe not the same experience or certainly not maybe as in depth, but can get some uh, uh, outside just kind of depending on the right fit for you. I, I see that. Um, yeah, I do you think some students are not looking for, they don't want to become a, a, a trial lawyer or a solo practitioner. Maybe they want to go work for a governmental agency like the U.S. Attorney's Office. And so a, an externship gets you that foot in the door to help you get hired. And, right. you know, maybe you don't have as much hands-on experience while you're there, but you know that you'll ultimately be in line for the possibility of a position or a job. And that. That's very important to students, of course. So, so your students uh, in your clinic, um, you know, they're they're interacting with you. He's a very uh, well established attorney in the field, um, lots of experience, etc. But are they also going to court for those docket days, negotiating with the attorney for the state, etc.? They are, and they oh, are. Wow. They have so, jury trials. They've argued before the Fourth Court of Appeals, before the Court of Criminal Appeals. So, so your students have more experience than me. Is what <laughs> <you're> saying. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so how how do you find their experience there? Like, you know, is it? Um, do Do you see their demeanor toward you know a prosecutor um, or or opposing counsel change over the course of the clinic? Or you know, what's that kind of experience like for your students? Well, you know, of course, when they start out, sometimes when they first go up to negotiate with a prosecutor, they may not have the confidence that you really hope they'll they'll gain before they're finished with the clinic. But you can kind of see that they're a little wary and a good prosecutor will jump on that fast and try right. to try to beat them down with a good with a plea bargain. And, you know, it'll take a little while for them to gain the confidence they need to know this is not the right plea bargain for my client. And I'm and I am telling you, you know, there's some facts, there's some law that you want to be aware of. And, you know, before they can join in as a, a fair sparring partner in that negotiations. But I think it happens much faster than you think. You have one or two of those moments early on and you realize, you know, I'm doing okay. I think I do know what I'm talking about, at least as much as this lawyer at this time. Uh, how yeah. they get treated, 
you know, sometimes that varies. Um, I'd say most of the time they get treated really well because other lawyers, other prosecutors remember what it was like to be a law student. Some of them are still pretty young and it wasn't that long ago. And they, they want to be, they want to be a helper too. They kind of want to be a little bit of a mentor in the system. So sometimes they're great with the students. Sometimes I find that prosecutors are not friendly because the most embarrassing thing for them would be to lose a case to a student. So they, they, they get their back up a little and they cannot, they can be sort of uh, difficult to deal with. You don't say. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You may have experienced that yourself a time or two. Uh, Well, I can imagine, um, with and they mis- act their way, they act that way with us, right? Mm-hmm. But but I can imagine with young misdemeanor prosecutors, right? Because I'm assuming Bear County's like a lot of other counties where those misdemeanor prosecutors are sometimes, you know, fresh. The, the, yeah, fresh. We're gonna say a little, a little. Uh, you know, they they've had their bar card for two or three months, uh, and you you know they, and then you have a person who's in a clinic, and both of them suffer from. And, and, and I say this actually very politely, but they suffer from righteous indignation, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, uh, Mr. Harris and I have a friend who occasionally calls us and we ask him, what do you really hope happens here? Are you just in this for a fight? Because he's so determined. He's so, his righteous indignation is so high most of the time that we're just like, is this going to help your client? Or you oh. just want to beat up on a prosecutor? Yeah. Yes. Um, and so I can imagine law school student who's who's determined that their client is innocent and young prosecutor who's determined that this person should sit in jail for every day of the possible. And how dare they let a law student lecture them on the law, right? Yes, exactly. There's some of those for sure. Yeah, I mean, and they can't be far apart in age or experience, right? I mean, you got some a student who's at the end of law school and a and a prosecutor who is at the very beginning, like just graduated from law school at the very beginning of their career. I mean, they do know each other sometimes. People most of the time, right? Right. They they recognize one another sometimes. It's like I remember him. Yeah, he was a year or two ahead of me, and uh, right. You know, yeah, they there's crossing paths, and again, some of them because of that are. You know, they they can kind of look back and remember just a couple of years ago I was there and they yeah. they'll have a little compassion and treat them pretty well. But yeah, I'd say the righteous indignation is is a real thing. Um, and one of the things that I really. Again, one of the things I hope students come out of is being client centered when you're on the defense side of don't lose sight of what's best for your client, what they yeah. want, what they need, helping them. And, that you know, you can lose the forest for the trees. Man, I can tell you when I, I used to be a prosecutor and I, I would be so full of righteous indignation if a lawsuit never came. <laughs> That's just the kind of guy I was, man. Uh, not anymore. I've grown, I think. You've matured. I've matured. I've matured. Yeah, you have somewhat, some, a little. Well, what a great, what a great opportunity, though. The absolute. Uh, yeah. Mr. Harris did a prosecution clinic. Uh, I did a prosecution clinic. Um, it. And that got my foot in the door for my uh, post, you know, grad, after I graduated and was barred, I got my first job because of that prosecution clinic uh, with a defense attorney in Fort Worth. Um, so those clinics, even if they don't get you a job, the experience is just so vital. So what a great opportunity for those, yeah. uh, for those 10 students this semester. I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, when you talk about getting, your law degree and and leaving 
walking out the door and starting a new job, you know, it can be so nerve wracking. But students who've had clinic it really just feel leaps and bounds ahead of their peers who did not. Um, some of them don't have never, some of their peers who didn't do clinic have never even been down to the courthouse. They might not even know where it is. So, you know, imagine getting handed your law license and thinking, now I got to Google or MapQuest or whatever mm -hmm. students do and pull up the GPS navigation system. Where do I park? How do I get into the building? You know, yeah, like I never stood in front of a judge, exactly. right? That said, you know, Mr. Arith. Yeah. Like, what says the defense? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. No. So that, that, um, that makes it a little hard to start off with the right confidence level you need for a client to put their trust in you when you are, you know, fumbling around and saying, when the judge says, what says the defendant? You say, does that mean me? Would you like yeah. me to answer to that? Or? Yes. That's <laughs> exactly right. Well, judge, I parked at a meter. I need to go put some coins in. Exactly. I'll be right back. <laughs> That's exactly right. Oh man, you're like uh, I'm having flashbacks. Like the first time I've ever appeared in in a, in a court. You yeah, know, I, I lean to the. I, I thankfully had a second. You know, had a second chair, and I lean over and I'm like, "Hey, what's next?" And he's like, "Opening statement." <laughs> like, oh right, 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 right. I got it. <laughs> oh man, that was two weeks ago. I can't believe it. No, <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. Mr. Harris is a good attorney most of the time. Um, <laughs> thank you, thank you. So, so Stephanie, thank you so much. I, it, 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 if nothing else, I'm remembering back, you know, now almost 10 years to what it was like uh, to be that third year student, to be doing those things, to be prepping for graduation and going through a clinic. Um, what a great opportunity for those students. Thank you for doing it. Well, and and uh, sorry to interrupt, uh, Mr. Decker. I, uh, Stephanie, the, you know, law schools, I've often said it and I, and I've heard it said, you know, law schools are great for teaching the law, but not really a real life experience, what it's like out there. So how many other clinics are there? Is there, is there plans to expand this to allow more students to kind of get this real world experience or um, what's the current trend of that at the St. Mary's? Oh, it, it's definitely on the rise. Uh, you know, we have an immigration clinic, we have civil clinics. We have one that does family law, one that does consumer protection, one that does real estate. So, and we'd love to have even more. Those are things that, you know, we're always looking for ways we can expand. Um, clinics are a little bit expensive to staff and operate. So, you know, schools have to be budgetarily minded. But I think, I think that clinics, the practical side of law school is continuing to improve and increase. More and more the ABA wants that. Right. Um, there's talk of increasing the number of experiential hours required with the idea that we shouldn't be turning kids loose out there to practice law if they haven't had some apprenticeship type program. I mean, you know, you can't even become a barber or a, a right. hairstylist if you haven't done some kind of an apprentice work. So it's a little frightening that for so many years, we didn't think too much about that in terms of attorneys. You know, and that, that kind of a uh, interesting point there, because I, I went to law school in the Northeast and, you know, fairly close to the Canadian border. And and so we, I, I, got a glimpse a little bit of a Canadian uh, law school system. And it is, it is a, an apprentice apprenticeship based education, more apprenticeship based than any American law school. Anyways. Um, I assume it's I, maybe more like a medical school where you yes. have your classes and then you do sort of your, yeah, that, and that yes. seems to make a lot of sense, but without completely 
overhauling the legal education right. in the United States. Certainly clinics have improved and made us much more practical and helpful to to young lawyers. I, I mean, I think for, for Andrew and myself, uh, you know, our clinic experiences kind of, you know, uh, put us one step above our colleagues who had no experience. Uh, Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that there's an immigration clinic. I mean, I think that is so needed in American law schools. Um, so that, that's great. That's great to hear. Yeah. We're lucky. We have some really wonderful clinics and really amazing, uh, professors, the clinicians who know their area of law, they're specialists in it. And, they're just as passionate about what they do in their particular area of law. So it's, it's Antonio a lot. Antonio is just such a, a really strong criminal defense bar as well. Um, lots of really great uh, attorneys down there. Of course, Jerry Goldstein's been on the show. Um, just a phenomenal, I'm sure you have phenomenal support from the community, right? We do. We're really yeah. lucky. We do. People are great to the clinics. Good. Awesome. Well, Stephanie, we end and we we made sure you knew this. We end every one of our shows with uh, some we say personal, but they're not really that personal. But it just helps us get to know you a little bit. Uh, questions. So the first one is, what is your favorite band or musical artist? What do you listen to? You're not going to limit me to just one, are you? No, please. Okay, good. <laughs> it's always hard to pick that just one. Yeah. Um, I like Lyle Lovett, a good old Texas singer. Mm. Uh, and his like large band. Yeah, absolutely. His large man. You know, I came of age, as they say, in the 80s. So I'm going to tell you that I, I'm i a punk rock fan. I like The Clash, The Sex Pistols. Um, but I, I also rock. like a few more modern groups. I, I love Beyonce. Who doesn't? So right. those are probably my top people I'd listen to. All right. Very cool. Very good. And what about uh, your favorite book or maybe one you're reading now or just kind of uh, recommending to people? Yeah, right now I'm reading a book called Strangers on a Train. It's by Patricia Highsmith. She's also a Texas person. They made a movie out of it years ago. I think Cary Grant was in it. Um, but it is a chilling psychological thriller, and it'll it'll keep you awake at night, frankly. <laughs> so, but I like it's interesting. You you would really enjoy. It. She also wrote the talented Mr. Ripley. Okay, I got you. Interesting. And then what's the best piece of advice you've been given it could be professional or personal or both you know i got this wonderful thing years ago and it was called things lawyers should worry about and it was a takeoff of a letter f scott fitzgerald had written to his daughter uh, when she went to college and he said you know things to worry about worry about courage worry about integrity worry about efficiency worry about whether you're a good enough listener Worry about whether you're honing your skills, especially writing skills. Things not to worry about. Don't worry about popular opinion, the past, the future, triumph, failure, unless it's your fault, or satisfactions. And I keep that pinned up on my wall just as a reminder of sometimes we get stressed out over things that are beyond our control, or we do worry, what will people think of me? And, you know, you got to focus on the right things and try your hardest to ignore the wrong things. And I think it's helped me some. I love that. I need to put that on my wall. No joke. That's, wow, we, that's a great reminder for all of us. Yeah. Uh, wow. Um, yeah. And, I, and, 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 you know, kind of particularly reminds me, especially in like wearing my lawyer hat, uh, kind of what we were talking about earlier is just be more 
client centered, right? Like, don't worry about the interaction with the prosecutor. Just I'm here to serve my client. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Very cool. Listen, listen to your client, listen to what other people are saying. Those are hard for us to do sometimes as lawyers. Indeed. It is it is very hard to sometimes listen and, and I saw something recently. I'm sorry, what are you saying? <laughs> uh but I saw something recently that said when someone disagrees with you or you feel like you're you're starting to um have that disagreement and I thought I need to use this with clients on a regular basis. Simply ask them, help me understand. Great question. Right. Because it's it's no longer that I'm disagreeing with you. It's I want to understand your position. Right. Right. And hopefully you'll listen and learn something. So anyway, kumbaya moment of the day. Professor no, Stevens, I please email that to us. Absolutely. Because we need a reminder. Uh, and I want to put it on the uh, on the show notes just for our listeners. Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. And and speaking of uh, our listeners, how you know, if they had any questions about St. Mary's or or the clinic or your work there, or just um, you know, want to get in touch with you, what what's the best way to to do that? No cell phones, please. My email is probably the very best way. Okay. Uh, and I know you have it if you want to. Put yep. that in the notes afterwards either. It's probably easier than me trying to say it out loud now. It's I will put that on the show notes then. Yeah, that's perfect. And I'd be glad to hear from people. Awesome. Awesome. So Andrew, how do how do people find us? Uh usually you do this part of the show, I know. but it, it, it's we are on Facebook. We Andrew are Drew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. We have a Twitter X thing, right? I'm sure. And with 10 followers. And we, there, there are more than that. Most importantly, and probably most consistent, um, consistently available is going to be www.texascrimdefense.com. You can, yeah, so the, the Twitter or X is at a and a tx crim def, and we have 29 followers on there. Rolls right off the tongue, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, but the best way to share what you're learning here is to tell a friend. Tell a friend. Share share the Andrew and Andrew podcast Leave with someone you love. Leave us a review. Send us an email. If you want to be a guest, you want somebody else to be a guest because you know Professor Stevens did not volunteer herself. We got her yeah. name. Baby we Jesus. reached no, she out. Did not. Right. Yeah. We reached out uh because she has so many fans out there. They're like, we need to hear from her. So we reached out. I think out it because... was actually someone who went through her clinic, if yeah, I understand absolutely. correctly. We won't we won't rat them out to you though, uh, Professor. <laughs> That's so, good. So, uh, so Stephanie, you, you have a, you know, random listener to thank for that. Um, but thank you so much for being on the show. Say that again. I said, hopefully it's a student I gave a good grade to. Yeah. Well, I would think so if they asked you to be on the podcast. High, high remarks from them. Yes. Right. Right. Um, so, but thank you for being on the show. We really appreciate it. It's always nice to hear, um, how some of our best attorneys in the state are, you know, kind of move on to teaching others to be the best attorneys that they can be and, and contributing exactly. to the legal community in that way. So for Andrew Harris, I'm Andrew Decker. And for Andrew Decker, I'm Andrew Harris. Y'all be good. Stephanie, thank you so much for giving us the time. Thank you. It was a pleasure and it was a lot of fun.